So I'm going to be reading from Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 to 15, and then we're going to take a moment to pray that the Holy Spirit would come and take his word and write it upon our hearts. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. These are the words of Jesus. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And now, let's go to God in a word of prayer. Holy God, we thank you that this is your holy word. And so we ask that your Holy Spirit would come now and take this word and write it upon our hearts, change us and shape us by the gospel of your Son. And if there be anyone here who has yet to hear you and come to believe in you, Lord, would you work in their hearts today as well? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, today we conclude our series in the Lord's Prayer. And this is a series where we've learned how to pray as Jesus taught his early disciples to pray. It's a method of prayer. It's not the only method of prayer in the Bible, but this one is special because Jesus himself teaches us to pray in this way. And today we're considering the last phrase in the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6.13, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And in this short phrase, Jesus teaches us that we will face opposition as we seek to live for God. Have you noticed that whenever you set yourself to doing something good and noble, it's very difficult? But when you set yourself to doing something bad and not so great, it's pretty easy. Well, friends, some of you have committed yourselves to be members of this church you receive the sign and seal of baptism. You endeavor to live as a follower of Jesus Christ. And in this phrase, Jesus gently teaches us that as you endeavor to do something good and noble in this world, to live for God's glory, it's going to be a struggle. There's going to be opposition. There's going to be difficulty. But praise God, we are not left alone. You see, friends, the opposition to our living for Christ is personal and formidable. The phrase, deliver us from evil, is better translated, deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from the evil one. Who is the evil one? He's the devil. He is Satan himself. And the Bible teaches us that he is a formidable foe. First Peter 5.8 says that he is a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. 
The great reformer Martin Luther says, on earth is not his equal. Satan is a formidable foe, and he is a personal foe, and he opposes our desire and our endeavors to live lives that bring glory to God and that honor Jesus Christ. We have a personal foe and a formidable foe in the devil. But praise God, we are not left alone. Jesus gives us this prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one because he wants us to be able to resist the devil and sin and to come out victorious. And effectively, friends, when we pray this phrase, we're praying two things to God. We're praying to God, saying to him, we need you. And we're also saying to him, we heed you. We need you and we heed you. Let's look at these two things in turn. We need you. Jesus says to pray, lead us not into temptation. And some of you who are here listening to the book of James and we were preaching through it, you say, hey, pastor, James 1.13 says, God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. So why is it that Jesus is teaching us to ask God to not lead us into temptation? And those of you who have been reading the gospel of Matthew will point to Matthew chapter 4. And in Matthew chapter 4, we see that the tempter is not God, it's Satan, it's the devil. So why in the world is Jesus asking us here to ask God not to lead us into temptation? There are two reasons, friends. Firstly, it's because Jesus assumes that Satan will tempt you. It's not a question of if, it's a question of of when you will be tempted by Satan and a question of whether or not you are aware that you are being tempted by Satan. So firstly, Jesus assumes Satan, the evil one, will tempt you. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us everything we want to know about Satan, but it tells us enough. And here are a few things the Bible tells us about Satan. In Luke chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus says that he saw Satan fall from the sky. Satan was a glorious angel, the greatest of God's angels, but yet he fell. R.C. Sproul says this, pride was Satan's supreme weakness. He was already great, but he thought that he was greater than that greatness that he already had. He thought that he was greater even than the one who made him he thought that he was greater even than his creator, God. Pride, friends, is Satan's supreme weakness. He is an example of a narcissist at its finest. I am the best. I am the most glorious. I'm even more glorious than the one who made me. Jesus saw Satan fall from the sky. Luke 10, 18. In Revelation verse 12, verse 9 and 10, John tells us that Satan is a deceiver. He deceives us, and he's an accuser. He accuses us, those of us who are God's people. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. He is deceptive. He doesn't just come really obviously. He is deceptive. John 8, 44, he is the father of lies. And in John 10, 10, he comes to steal and kill and destroy. 
He is a formidable foe, and he's a personal foe, Christian. We don't talk very much about him, but the text forces us to grapple with this reality that as we seek to live as followers of Jesus Christ, Satan, the devil himself, will oppose us. He will get in our way, but praise God, God has not left us without the resources to fend him, to fend him off. In 1 Peter 5.8, the Apostle Peter tells us to be sober-minded and to be watchful. Paul warns us in 2 Corinthians 2.11 to not be outwitted by Satan. Do you see what the great apostles are telling us? Satan will attack us and tempt us, not in an obvious way, but in a very cunning way. You see, friends, when you think about Satan, you tend to think, okay, blood, gore, vampire, and pontianas. When I see those things, okay, Satan is at work. But friends, it may be, but that's a little bit too obvious. Alistair Begg, a good Bible teacher in the U.S., says, look at where there's discord. Look at where there's anger. Look at where there's deception. Look at where there's bitterness. Look at where there's lies and falsehood and all manner of sinful cursing. That's where the devil and his demons operate their schemes, Alistair Beck tells us. Have you ever been tempted to argue? To lie? To hold on to bitterness? To gossip? To slander? To curse someone, even if it's in your mind and in your heart? Or friends, do you feel superior to other people? Superior because of your race, your language, your religion, your nationality, your education, your wealth, your status? Friends, that's pride. And pride is Satan's supreme weakness. Friends, that's narcissism. And that looks a lot more like Satan than your gentle and lowly Savior, Jesus Christ. Don't look at the extravagant to see where Satan is at work. Look at where you're tempted to argue, lie, be bitter, to gossip, to slander, to curse someone, to feel superior to someone. And friends, these are things that are evident even in the Christian's life. Sad to say, even in the church. Friends, you know why some of you find it so difficult to form deep relationships with people? One of the reasons probably is because you feel superior to people. Now, you may not articulate that way because you're too Christian and too nice to say it. But deep in your heart, you look at other people and you're thinking to yourself, they're idiots. They're not like me. I'm somebody. They are nobody. Friends, pride is Satan's supreme weakness. And if we embody that kind of behavior, we're looking a lot more like Satan than, than our gentle, lowly Savior, who though he was great, gave up everything to serve us as a humble servant, even going to the cross for our sins. Jesus assumes, friends, that we will be tempted by Satan, if not overtly, then subtly, 
Satan is at work to draw our hearts away from God and from the gospel. That's the first reason why Jesus teaches us to pray this way. Secondly, it's because Jesus knows that you need God to overcome temptation. This is a formidable foe. He's a prowling lion, not a pussycat. He will devour you if you don't have God's help. Now, New Testament art, scholar R.T. Franz says this, you know, when a husband says to a wife, don't ever leave me, maybe in a moment of passion or embrace, he says, don't ever leave me, he's not necessarily assuming that she's likely to leave him, right? What he's expressing is his love for her and his need for her. And friends, in a similar way, when we cry out to God, lead us not into temptation, Jesus is teaching us to express our need for God. Satan is a formidable foe. I cannot defeat him without you, God. Lead me not into temptation. I need you. We need you. So Franz says, R.T. Franz, the sense of this prayer is more like, don't let us succumb to temptation or don't abandon us to temptation. It's saying to God, Lord, we are weak. But the enemy is strong, but you are stronger, and we need you. Lead us not into temptation. We need you. But friends, the second thing we pray when we pray this phrase is we saying to God, we heed you. The second part of the prayer, Jesus says to pray, deliver us from the evil one. Now the phrase deliver us means rescue us. Or set us free. So what we're crying out to God for in that phrase is we're asking God to set us free from Satan. To rescue us from Satan. To lead us away from Satan. But where does God lead us? He leads us to himself. He leads us to his ways. In Psalm 23, verse 3, David, the great psalmist, says, He, God, leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. In Psalm 5, verse 8, he prays, Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. So, friends, when we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We're praying and saying to God, I need you, we need you. Satan is a great foe. But we're also praying, Lord, lead us. We heed you. We want to follow your ways. We want to turn from Satan and his ways that are destructive, not just to myself, but to those around me. And we want to follow in your ways, Lord. We want to walk in your ways. We want to obey you because you have loved us and shown us such grace rather than follow the ways of Satan. And so, friends, to resist Satan and his temptations is to embrace God and to obey his commands. To resist Satan and his temptations is to embrace God and to obey his commands. Friends, if you go to Romans chapter 10, verse 16, 2 Thessalonians 1, 8, and 1 Peter 4, 17, you'll come across a very interesting phrase. It tells us there, both Paul and Peter, that Christians are called to obey the gospel. 
Now, friends, those of you who have been here long enough, you know the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. It's good news. It's not good advice. It's something you embrace. It's not therapy for a better life. So what do the apostles mean when they call us to obey the gospel of God? What does it mean to obey good news? Let your mind imagine this. Give it a couple of months, maybe a couple of years. And finally, the risk of COVID is over. They've managed to inoculate the majority of the population. Most cases that are still uh, in the in circulation are mild. And therefore, we can now do away with safe distancing measures. No more masks in public. No more need to confine yourselves to the same social circles. No more need to confine yourselves to eight people or five people or two people. That's good news. It's good news. COVID is over. It's been conquered. I'm not predicting or prophesying anything. I'm just saying imagine, okay? Imagine that we received that good news. Now, you've heard it. You you had nothing to do with it. Okay, some of you are doctors, so maybe you had something to do with it. But by and large, you had nothing to do with it. It's good news that you receive. But imagine that after you've received this good news, you continue to say, hey, I'm only going to eat alone. I'm going to wear my mask even when I go to sleep, even when I go to the toilet. I'm not going to live in light of this good news that COVID is over. And that is the sense of what it means to obey the gospel of God. The gospel is good news and you had nothing to do with it. Jesus Christ has conquered Satan. He's conquered sin. You embrace him by faith. You receive the benefits of forgiveness. But now, friends... You and I are called to live in light of that good news by obeying that gospel. It's calling us to do what's most human and most Christian because of the Savior who dwells in your heart. What does it mean to obey the good news of Jesus Christ? Well, a 15th century Reformed theologian by the name of Wolfgang Musculus put it this way. To obey the gospel is to dedicate yourself to the Lord Christ with your whole heart. To hearing, believing, trusting, and obeying Him as your only Lord and Savior. And he uses a beautiful illustration here that I think some of you will appreciate. He obeys his doctor who believes his words and happily receives the treatment which he provides, adhering to his instructions in all things. In doing this, he not only brings glory to the doctor, but also receives health for himself. Friends, when we cry out to God, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We're saying to God, we need you. Satan is a great enemy. But we're also saying to him, Lord, we will heed you and we will obey you and we will live for you and we will do what you say because you have loved us and all your commands to us are good and beautiful and bring health to our souls. Well, friends, as we draw to close, the truth is, as we examine our lives, 
We're not consistent with this prayer. We're not consistent with resisting temptation and evil. If we're truly honest with ourselves, we have given in to temptation more than we have resisted temptation. We have failed. Eugene Peterson says, you know, in this age of so-called authenticity, we tend to think that if we don't feel it, it's not real. And so we need to feel it before we do it. Well, Eugene Peterson says, well, it's, it's kind of the other way around. Sometimes you need to do it before you feel it. Sometimes you need to obey before you sense the reality of what you have. And that's, that's, that's just life, friends. And we have failed even to do that. But friends, our hope is not in ourselves. We are weak. Satan is strong. The enemy is formidable. But our hope is in Jesus Christ, the one who did resist and the one who did triumph. In Matthew chapter 4, friends, it tells us that at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus Christ was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And the devil threw every enticing temptation possible at Jesus. And Jesus stood strong. Jesus triumphed. And yet, friends, instead of receiving the victor's crown, Jesus received the criminal's cross. Jesus, the one who triumphs and should receive the, crimin- the, the victor's crown, received the criminal's cross. Why, friends? So that you and I, who deserve the criminal's cross because we have not resisted temptation, because we have given in to sin and to Satan, we have disobeyed God because He loves us and through His great sacrifice on the cross, He frees us and enables us to receive not the criminal's cross, but the victor's crown. Friends, it's only in Christ clothed in His righteousness, empowered by His Spirit, embedded in His church. It's only in Christ that we can stand forgiven, that we can stand free, that we can stand empowered and enabled to resist the world, the flesh, and the devil. We cry out to God, lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. We need you, God, and we heed you. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come before you not on the basis of our own righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ alone. And because Christ has lived and died for us, and he has called us to himself, we come believing in him, not as slaves, not as orphans, but as sons and daughters of the almighty God by adoption. And we come, as you have taught us, approaching our God with great reverence 
but also with great boldness, saying to you, you are our Father in heaven. We pray, hallowed be your name. We pray, Father, that we would acknowledge you and highly esteem you, that hearts would come alive to the realities that we have learned in your word, that they would not just flee in our minds, but sink deep into our hearts, so that worship arises from the very depths of our being, and are translated into the lives that we live. We pray, Father, for ourselves as a church. We pray, Father, for ourselves as leaders and as followers of Jesus Christ. We pray that the things that we know and the things that we say would burn with passion and fire in our hearts, O God. We pray that each and every one who comes through the doors of one covenant church would esteem you, would acknowledge you, would hold you in high regard, would hallow you, O Lord. And we pray, Father, that as we go forth and live lives that are consistent with the good news of the gospel, that others would also come to hallow your name, to esteem you, to bow their knee, to worship you, and to enjoy you. We pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're reminded again that this kingdom belongs to Jesus Christ, that this church is Jesus' body, that we ourselves do not belong to ourselves, but to him who gave himself for us. And we thank you that he is the sovereign king over all creation. We pray for our lives, O Lord, that we would align to your kingdom agenda and kingdom example and kingdom principles. We pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, as it is in this church, as it is in our families, as it is in our own lives as we walk before you we say give us this day our daily bread lord we come before you and we thank you that you are god who provides us everything we need for life for godliness everything physical everything spiritual everything emotional everything psychological father you provide us with all of our needs and we pray father that you would help us to see and be grateful for that and we pray father that you make us a church that's not concerned not just for our own needs but for the needs of one another here in the body but also those outside the church. We continue to lift up to you our Adopt the Dorm initiative, and we continue to ask you for further. We continue to ask you for the ability to serve, Father, the weakest and the, the most hard hit in this COVID pandemic. Finally, Father, then, Father, we pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. We come before you, Father, acknowledging how unrighteous we are, how proud we are, how often our behavior and our speech mirror Satan and not our gentle, lowly Savior. Forgive us our sins, O Lord. Forgive us from the very depths of our hearts. Help us to know that when we sorrow over our sins, that you draw us to a place of humbling, of forgiveness, of renewal, and of change. And we pray, Father, in that forgiveness, Help us to forgive those who have hurt us from the depths of our hearts, releasing our own hearts and releasing those who are closest to us and becoming more like Jesus Christ. And finally, we pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We are cognizant of the reality that Satan is a formidable foe, a great enemy, and he's closer than we think. But we thank you that we have not been left without help. You have come through your word, by your spirit, to dwell within us. 
So we pray, Father, that you would help us to resist every temptation of the evil one and to live for the glory of God in the gospel of your Son. For yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, both now and forevermore. Amen.